Democrats use pandemic and riots to unseat Trump. Pre-pandemic, the economic policies of the Trump administration had the economy soaring, providing the black community with the lowest unemployment rate in history. Then the Chinese Communist government unleashed a horror on the world, which became the crisis for which Democrats longed and are exploiting. In their devilish quest to shepherd befuddled Biden gently into the Oval Office in January, Democrats are desperately trying to keep schools and businesses shut down, no matter the cost in unnecessary human suffering. Their ethically unmoored quest for power has led big city mayors like Chicago's Mayor Lori Lightfoot, New York City's Bill de Blasio, Minneapolis's Jacob Fry, and Seattle's Jenny Durkin to tolerate violence, arson, looting, and property destruction in their cities while hostily refusing federal help. Adding insult to injury, Democrats support the revolutionary anarchists who mock, spit at, parade nude in front of, and attack our police, who serve our country with courage. Democrats are responsible for 2020's social chaos because in leftist-controlled government indoctrination centers, also called government schools, they created the truth-hating monsters that are rampaging through our streets and institutions, destroying what they cannot cancel. But Democrats, being the cunning political animals they are, know that social chaos and economic devastation will likely be blamed on whoever is in office. They realize they gain nothing by curbing social unrest, allowing children to return to school, and restoring the economy to its prior flourishing state. So, leftists in control of cities fiddle while their cities burn, while the mental and physical health of Americans, including children, deteriorates, and while families worry about food and rent. And while all this is happening, teachers' unions demand the defunding of police, an increase in taxes on the wealthy, a moratorium on charter schools, and elimination of evictions forever before they return to work. They're sitting at home getting paid by the public to do nothing but hatch plans for gobbling up more power. And let's not forget the strange saga of hydroxychloroquine, Other than their narcissistic desire to use crises to advance political goals, what could possibly explain the delight of leftists whenever there's even slightly bad news about hydroxychloroquine? Normal people feel disappointed. Not CNN talking heads, no siree. They eagerly report negative news and then bury good news. And yes, there is very good news about hydroxychloroquine, as reported by Yale School of Public Health Professor of Epidemiology, Dr. Harvey Reich, in a troubling opinion piece appearing in Newsweek on July 23rd. And I quote him, I am usually accustomed to advocating for positions within the mainstream of medicine, so I've been flummoxed to find that in the midst of a crisis, I am fighting for a treatment that the data fully support but which, for reasons having nothing to do with a correct understanding of the science, has been pushed to the sidelines. As a result, tens of thousands of patients with COVID-19 are dying unnecessarily. I am referring, of course, to the medication hydroxychloroquine. When this inexpensive oral medication is given very early in the course of illness, before the virus has had time to multiply beyond control, it has shown to be highly effective especially when given in combination with the antibiotics, azithromycin or doxycycline, and the nutritional supplement, zinc, end quote. 
Dr. Reich then cites his own article, published at the end of May in the American Journal of Epidemiology, titled Early Outpatient Treatment of Symptomatic High-Risk COVID-19 Patients That Should Be Ramped Up Immediately as Key to the Pandemic Crisis, in which he reviews the studies showing the efficacy of hydroxychloroquine. In his Newsweek essay, he also criticizes the politicization of science that is killing people, discusses the current state of hydroxychloroquine research, exposes the truth about the cardiac scare, and mentions doctors who have contacted him to say hydroxychloroquine used properly saves lives. How many more Americans would be alive today if it weren't for the efforts of anti-science leftists, particularly in the media, motivated by a hatred of Trump so deep they are willing to sacrifice the lives of their fellow citizens in their quest to sabotage Trump. Even researchers are complaining that their ability to do research is hampered by leftists who want to prevent Trump from getting credit for anything good. Real people are just collateral damage to leftists. In order to achieve what the impeachment burlesque and Russiagate could not, Trump opponents must promote the narrative that Trump bungled the U.S. response to the Wuhan virus pandemic without saying exactly what anyone else would have done at various points in the past eight months, given what was known at those points. In addition, they have to conceal what Trump has gotten right. For example, as of this writing, the United States has performed 65,433,251 COVID-19 tests. That's about the number of tests performed by Canada, France, the UK, Italy, Spain, and India combined. Does Trump get credit for that? Early on, he restricted travel from China. Does he get credit for that? He got PPE and ventilators to hospitals that needed them and got field hospitals up and running in record time. Does he get credit for that? No one that I'm aware of has explained why Trump, rather than Governor Andrew Cuomo, is responsible for the astonishing death rates in New York City. What specifically did Trump do to cause those death rates? If Trump is responsible for New York's astonishing death rates, does he get credit then for the low death rates in Wyoming, Montana, Maine, Vermont, West Virginia, and Oregon, all of which have under 10 deaths per 100,000? This group includes three Republican governors and three Democrats. Does he get credit for North Carolina, Tennessee, Kentucky, Wisconsin, Arkansas, Oklahoma, Kansas, Nebraska, North Dakota, South Dakota, Utah, and Idaho, all of which have had 21 or fewer deaths per 100,000? This group includes nine Republican governors and three Democrats. Does he get credit for the death rate per 100,000 in Texas, which stands at 29, Nevada, 32, New Mexico, 33, Alabama, 36, Florida, 38, and Georgia and South Carolina, 40? This group includes five Republican governors and two Democrats. The death rates per 100,000 of the preceding states look a lot better than those of New Jersey, 178 per 100,000, Massachusetts, 127, Connecticut, 124, Louisiana, 91, and Illinois, 62 per 100,000. Every one of those states has a Democratic governor. So, in the 25 lowest death rates per 100,000 states, 17 have Republican governors and 8 have Democrats. 
In the bottom five states, that is, those with the highest death rates per 100,000, all five have Democratic governors. What these stats suggest is that we better not elect any more Democrats. So now let's move to the world. NPR cited Johns Hopkins professor of biostatistics, Nilan John Chatterjee, explaining that, and I quote, according to Chatterjee, the case fatality ratio may be a slightly better indication of how well a country is doing in responding to the pandemic and preventing infected people from dying, end quote. Well, the case fatality rate in the U.S. is 3.2%, better than the case fatality rate in Brazil, which is 3.3, Greece, 3.8, Denmark, 4.2, Germany 4.2, Finland 4.4, Switzerland 5.4, Ireland 6.6, Sweden 7.0, Spain 9.1, Netherlands 10.4, Italy 14.1, and the UK 14.9. And just imagine what the U.S. case fatality rate would be if Andrew Cuomo hadn't killed all of New York's elderly. One of the tactics of dishonest demagogic leftists is to lambast Trump for not recognizing the seriousness of the Chinese communist virus. Just this past weekend, in a must-watch segment for anyone needing a good chuckle, goofy CNN host Brian Stelter said that conservative talk radio stars were downplaying the severity of the Wuhan virus. Perhaps Stelter forgot that when Trump was restricting travel from China at the end of January, a decision befuddled Biden called xenophobic, Leftists and experts were saying the following. On January 28th, former New York City Health Commissioner Dr. Barbo said, quote, We are encouraging New Yorkers to go about their everyday lives and suggest practicing everyday precautions that we do through the flu season. On January 24th, Speaker of the House Nancy Pelosi went to Chinatown in San Francisco saying, Everything is fine here. Come, because precautions have been taken. The city is on top of the situation. Come to Chinatown. Here we are. Come join us. On January 25th, William Schaffner, professor of preventive medicine at Vanderbilt University, said, quote, When we think about the relative danger of this new coronavirus and influenza, coronavirus will be a blip on the horizon in comparison, end quote. On January 29th, NPR's Allison Aubrey said, Quote, worried about catching the new coronavirus? In the U.S., the flu is a bigger threat, end quote. On January 31st, University of California Riverside epidemiologist Brandon Brown said, quote, here in the U.S., flu is what is killing us. Why should we be afraid of something that has not killed people here in this country? I think we need to shift our attention back to the flu. On January 31st, L.A. Times' Sumya Carla Mangla said, quote, Unlike the coronavirus, which so far hasn't led to any deaths in the U.S., influenza has killed approximately 10,000 Americans since October, according to federal data released Friday. A much deadlier killer already stalking the United States has been largely overshadowed, the flu. On February 1st, Washington Post's Lenny Bernstein wrote, Get a grip, America. The flu is a much bigger threat than the coronavirus for now. On February 3rd, the Washington Post said, why we should be wary of the aggressive government response to coronavirus. 
And on February 6th, in a piece titled, Who Says It's Not Safe to Travel to China? The Coronavirus Travel Ban is Unjust and Doesn't Work Anyway. The New York Times' Rosie Spinks wrote, quote, The coronavirus outbreak seems defined by two opposing forces, the astonishing efficiency with which the travel industry connects the world and a political moment dominated by xenophobic rhetoric and the building of walls, end quote. Testing data are in flux. Many conditions can affect COVID-19 fatalities, and we're not out of the Wuhan woods yet. All we know with certainty is that Democrats hope for bad news, bury good news, and stand in the way of solutions. Is that really the heartless party Americans want running the government?